Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It's Tuesday, November 1st. Pastor Paul here. So glad that you've joined us. Now, we did send out an announcement prematurely, I might add, on Sunday or Monday morning, maybe it was, that we were not going to be doing pastoral devotionals this week. I My, my thought had been, I'd been out of town all weekend, gotten in late, gotten way behind. This was not going to be in a position to do them this week. But God showed up as he always does, he showed off and he prepared a way. And I think we are locked and loaded, ready to go for Romans Rewind this week of, of November 1st. So we're gonna be here the rest of the week and right on schedule. There was also something that I think has been pressing on me that I think would be helpful for us to talk about um, in relationship to the season we've been in in Romans. So, so just to kind of to backtrack a minute to get us up to speed. We've been in Romans 13. We were in Romans 13 talking about the role of the government in the life of the believer and the Christian and the church, those things that should guide and direct our thinking and engagement um, with the government, um, with politics. We, we spent a good bit of time on that. And then we've transitioned into Romans 14, where Paul is talking about disputed matters, um, things that Christians can disagree on or do disagree on that don't really affect the core of the Christian faith, um, truth, the gospel, those sorts of things, but nonetheless important issues. And it's interesting, I think maybe Paul, we have to ask him one day, situated his letter in that way where anticipating that Christians might or very well would disagree about how does it look to faithfully engage the commands of God, the word of God, with the government in our political lives, he anticipated, or I think it, or certainly it would, could easily flow from this, what, what happens when we disagree about that? You know, for Paul, it was talking about um, uh, Sabbath days and foods to eat and the weaker and the stronger brother. Well, how does, how does that relate to the political world? Because let's be honest, that's one of the primary areas of disagreement that we have as believers, um, even in the evangelical camp, even in the, the, the conservative theological camp. What does it mean to, to walk faithfully, to engage God, the world, government, the word of God in a, in a, in a way that honors the Lord honors our conscience and is a faithful witness. And so since we have one week from today, the midterm elections coming up, I thought this would be a good time to take a deep dive into how we apply Romans 13 and 14 in the political realm. And the, in the sorts of questions that I'm interested in exploring this week uh, would be some of those hot button issues. What how does this? How should this impact our voting? Um, what happens when we there is a collision between the the character of a specific candidate and the policy positions we think that candidate might represent or carry out? I mean, these are these are the sorts of political um, decisions we face. Should we be voting at all, or the lesser of two evils, or how, how does that work? How are we to prioritize different political issues? Um, what, what does it mean? 
how much should the church, pastors, Christians, be involved in politics? What, what should we be saying? What should we not be saying? What does it mean to have a witness in the world? These are all huge, huge questions that we're going to resolve here in the next five or 10 minutes. No, we just want to kind of set the stage for these discussions. And what I want to do first today is, in brief, to spend a few minutes kind of outlining what I believe are the, the five um, sort of comprehensive approaches that Christians have taken over the centuries about how to best engage the government and their political worlds. And I'm going to use the taxonomy, the classification system that Reinhold Niebuhr um, articulated some 7,500 years ago when he talked about the way that Christ or our Christian witness is to engage culture. And I think that as we, as I walk through these, um, you will see the parallel as to how Christians might or might not engage the government, because obviously our governing authority structure is a part of our, of our culture. Okay. So let, let, let me briefly outline these. If I had a dry erase board, I would write them up. And maybe I just need to bring one in here tomorrow to if, if this if this discussion is unclear. But the first position would be to say Christ or the Christian faith should be completely separate from culture. Okay, um, that there should be sort of two distinct, never intersecting worlds. So we might think for a, for a second about the Amish approach to engaging culture right? That there is this sort of radical distinction between the Christian community and, and the outside world, that we are to be just mainly focused on our relationships, the worship of God, and to be, to be separate from the surrounding culture or political process thereof. Now, a, a, a more familiar version of this, because the Amish version might seem a little extreme, um, Rod Dreher, who's a, who's a conservative political commentator, has written a book, he's a Greek Orthodox Christian, by the way, called The Benedict Option. And he's saying that this whole idea of influencing culture um, is, is, is a myth, that the Christian witness and community is being rapidly overrun and secularized. And the best thing we can do as Christians is to pull away from the culture, focus on our own communities of faith and maintaining faithfulness and fidelity to the truth and the gospel. So, so the first the first category, Christ separated from culture, okay? There's another approach, second approach. This would be called the Christ over culture or the church over culture. And this would be a model that would see um, the church or the Christian faith sort of being the the religion de jour of, of, of society, of the world. So let's think about, for example, Islam, okay? When we think about the caliphate and the, the sort of the theonomic um, Iranian sort of regime that, that the, 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 the religion and the state are merged, okay? And that the beliefs of the church or the religion become the beliefs of the culture or society. Um, you may have heard terms like Christian nationalism, 
okay? And I don't want to get into that one today. We'll do, we, we will talk about it this week, which, which again, essentially some versions of it say that, you know, Christianity should be the religion, the official religion or the dominant religious force in a culture um, in a very distinct way, in a way that is di dictating policy and electing leaders. Um, the Roman Catholic model, okay, of church over state um, was the way this happened for hundreds of years, right? In the Middle Ages, in the early, in the earlier part of the first, later part of the first century, where Christianity was the official religion of the Roman Empire. And, and again, this, this posits this idea that, that, that the church or Christ stands over culture. Now, we know ultimately in heaven, this will be the model, right? <laughs> there will be no rival. There's no democracy. Jesus is king. But this vision for earth sees this as a model to gravitate to. All right, there's, there's a third model, and this would be called Christ and culture in paradox, okay, or the church and culture in paradox. This is kind of the Lutheran vision, okay, um, which sees um, us as, as these two worlds, okay, the city of God and the city of man in paradox, meaning that you and I as Christians are citizens of two kingdoms, okay, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And to use the phrase of Jesus, we render to what is Caesar's, we render to God's what is God's. Now, this is different than Christ separated from culture. The two doesn't, don't have anything to do with each other. The Christ and culture and paradox knows, says more that we're citizens of two kingdoms. And sometimes these kingdoms overlap, but we don't need to confuse the two kingdoms, right? There's a distinctive mission for the church, there's a distinctive mission for the government. And again, Augustine, the city of God and the city of man. And, and if it sounds like a paradox, it is, right? And it's not always super clear as to how church impacts politics or the culture or politics impacts the church. There is this overlap, but there's it's certainly, in Luther's mind, it's not the church over culture, okay? It's the church alongside of the state. Now, there's another fourth model, okay, which says that, that it's culture that should really shape the church, okay? Church, culture that really should really shape Christ. And this would be more the progressive liberal vision, which seems to say that the church... Um, needs to be constantly modifying and adapting in order to stay relevant with the culture. And that this might oftentimes be seen, okay, as, and this is something you saw with mainline denominations for a long time, which is not the church bringing a distinctive witness and prophetic word to the culture and the government, but the church coming, kind of cozying up to the spirit of the age, becoming relevant, speaking the language, changing, using the traditional religious terms, but changing their meaning, um, this sort of progressive theology that seeks to emulate the culture in order to be relevant to the culture, right? And I think we've seen kind of where that goes historically, but that certainly is a model. It's one that you would see 
with liberal mainline churches. It's one that you would see in progressive versions of Christianity. Finally, a last one, there's this idea of the church or Christ transforming culture. And this is the idea, and this is more the Calvinistic version or vision, where Christians certainly are seen absolutely as, as members of two kingdoms. But in contrast to the Lutheran position, the Calvinistic position says that Christians should be involved and engaged in the political process. They should be seeking to, to transform institutions um, for influence, for Christian witness, for shaping of policy and election processes in order to bring forth biblical values in the kingdom of God. So it's not, they're not, Christ and culture are not separated, but this is not, now some would say what I just described as Christian nationalism. It's not, okay? It just simply recognizes that all um, governments are influenced by something, okay? Some sort of value system. And the Calvinistic position says one of those values, or one of those shapers should be the Christian faith. So this is not seeking to establish a national church. This is not seeking to establish a, um, a theonomic kingdom, okay? But it's more simply saying, let as, as God's will is being done in heaven, let it be done on earth as well through the hands of his people, okay? So th those are five models, okay? And we're going to reference them as we move through the course of the week. And so one you might want to be considering for yourself, which of these models have I naturally, do I naturally gravitate to? What are the models that I've seen modeled for me? Uh, which camp am I most, quote unquote, comfortable in um, as it relates to um, my, my own political engagement in the way that I think about these things? And so many things can influence us, right? our theology, our experience with government, our experience with culture, our experience with church. But it's going to be important that we grab hold of one of, 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 the, of these ideas. And so just to let you know kind of where how I would see this, okay, Christ over culture um, awaits the final kingdom, right? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Christ separated from culture um, I don't think is faithful and true to our Christian witness um, to be salt and light, okay? Obviously, I think culture transforming Christ is not Christianity at all. It's some sort of false religion. And so I think this idea of Christ transforming culture and then Christ and culture in paradox, in my opinion, most closely approximate what we are called to in our mission, okay, uh, as believers. Now, still there's going to be a spectrum, but Christ transforming culture or transforming government, I think that Calvinistic model is one that I think I most naturally gravitate to. It's the one that I see um, modeled um, at different points in scripture. I think it's consistent with the form of government we have now. At the same time, recognizing that there are going to be times that we have to render under render under Caesar what Caesar's render under God what's God's okay in that Lutheran paradigm and understanding that these this side of heaven those two kingdoms the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man will not be one okay they won't be one kingdom in this life um 
although we should seek to bring the gospel witness to bear. So, so that kind of gives you a sense of how I think about these things. I think that's important to keep in mind as we talk about different issues. Tomorrow, I want to, I want to go into this idea of, of voting when it comes to weighing policy against morality of leaders or character of leaders. And um, I kind of look forward to hearing what I'm going to say then too. So we'll see you tomorrow, Wednesday. Now, let me pray. Lord, we want to be faithful in the way that we carry our Christian witness into every sphere and arena. Lord, we do believe you've called us to be salt and light. We do believe that you've called us to be a witness. At the same time, we have to recognize the limits of government and the political policy and process in this life, and that we will one day um, see a perfect union between your kingdom and the kingdom of man under the lordship of Christ. Lord, and we pray that you would bring it about more and more, even in this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody, see you tomorrow.